the opening song that we had this evening uh, was "O oh, Love That Will Not Let Me Go." Love that will not let me go, and it's by a man named uh, George uh, Matheson, uh, who's uh, was British. Um, he was a, a clergyman uh, and uh, a poet and hymn writer, as we see here. Um, and the backstory to the song is that uh, he wrote this probably about 40, about when he was about 40 years old. But when he was a teenager, uh, he began to lose his sight, began to go blind over the course of time. And he had three sisters, and his uh, sisters took care of him. Uh, and he f- had a call to the ministry, and despite uh, being blind, uh, went to study uh, to become uh, ordained clergyman. And his sisters actually helped him. Uh, along this path, even going as far as learning Latin, Greek, and Hebrew so that they could tutor him um, so that he could indeed uh, have a vocational career in ministry. Um, uh, And uh, when he uh, was uh, a young man, he was engaged to be married, uh, and his fiancée eventually left him because she could not bear the idea of marrying a man who would be blind. And as you can imagine, this broke his heart um, and weighed on him heavily. And so he wrote the song, Love That Will Not Let Me Go, um, the night before one of his three sisters was to be married. Um, And he never said explicitly that this had to do with uh, the sort of internal anguish that he had about his lost love, though you have to imagine that was probably the case. Uh, One of his sisters was being married, and he himself uh, would not be married. Uh, and one of his uh, three sisters who took care of him, nonetheless. Um, and so he wrote in reflecting on the song, uh, I was at the time alone. It was the day of my sister's marriage, and the rest of my family were staying overnight in Glasgow. Something uh, had happened to me which was known only to myself, and which caused me the most severe mental suffering. The hymn was the fruit of that suffering. It was the quickest bit of work I ever did in my life. And he goes on to say how it only took him about five minutes uh, to write it, and he never edited it, and he chalks it all up to divine inspiration. And so this was a hymn, as he said, that was wrought through suffering, through a place of pain. Uh, And nonetheless, it highlights God's constant love, uh, despite coming from this place of hurt. I mean, just listen to these lines, love that will not let me go. Light that followest all my way, joy that seekest me through pain. And then finally concluding with a note of uh, celebration and saying, life that shall endless be, uh, eternal life, uh, the hope of it, uh, despite this uh, the source of suffering. Well, tonight, uh, one of our readings is from the uh, prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was a man uh, himself who knew suffering. Uh, he's uh, called colloquially the weeping prophet, um, and he was a man well acquainted with sorrows, or as the, uh, the soggy bottom boys of O Brother Where Art Thou said, I am a man of constant sorrows. That could uh, describe the prophet Jeremiah often, not always, but often it has this, this sort of tone, and that's why he's called the, the weeping prophet. And so what is the background of Jeremiah, just like uh, George Matheson? Well, Jeremiah, uh, his ministry was during a time of spiritual decline uh, and a sort of uh, tragic downfall of Jerusalem. These are the decades leading up to uh, the exile of Judah and Babylon. And so he gives a message of warning 
and judgment to primarily Judah, but also to many other nations outside of Israel and Judah. And these uh, message of, messages of warning and judgment uh, are demonstrating what happens when a culture loses its spirituality uh, when, and the suffering that results when they forget about their one true God. Uh, but he also, uh, even though there's this message of uh, condemnation, uh, judgment, warning, sorrow, I mean, he's weeping over his uh, people, his uh, brothers and sisters of Judah. Despite this, he also shares with Judah the comfort that God has for them uh, in times of persecution and exile that they will experience in the times to come. Uh, and he shows also uh, hope for uh, for all of us that we have uh, in the future, the promises of God, not just Judah, but all of us, the hope that we have in the future promises of God. And this sort of backdrop of judgment, uh, this, uh, this foil behind the gem of judgment, sort of highlights and makes uh, more profound uh, the, the promises of God's saving grace. Because the, the primary emphasis is on the minor keys, uh, the major themes of comfort and grace come through even more brightly. Um, and so today, I mean, that's just sort of a sweeping picture of who Jeremiah is. But today we have at the very beginning of uh, the book of the prophet Jeremiah in chapter one, uh, his call uh, to ministry. Um, and he was called as a, a boy, we're told, and probably an adolescent. And therefore, he wants to reject the call. Uh, I'm too young for this. Uh, it can't be me. And often when people are called in, in the scriptures to, to ministry by God, I mean, just look at uh, someone like Moses. Uh, you've got the wrong guy. You know, for Moses, it was other reasons. But for Jeremiah, it had everything to do with his youth. Um, I remember when uh, when I was in high school, uh, I, I could have graduated when I was 16 years old. I had like enough units and everything. Uh, and a counselor sat me down and said, do you want to go to college? And I said... I can't imagine going and living in the dorms with a bunch of 18 to 22-year-olds at 16 years old. Uh, and so I stayed an extra year of high school for no reason. It was a complete throwaway. But uh, my response in that counselor's room is, uh, and even more so, like Jeremiah, not the right time. Uh, and yet, and yet, it was the right time for Jeremiah. And so God says, uh, and, and for the same reasons that I was sort of, uh, I was afraid of going to college when I was 16 because, you know, when you're young, you look at somebody when you're 16 who's 17 and you think that they're eons older. Um, but I was afraid of what older people might think of me uh, and, ha- and they wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't have anything to say to them. And it's for the same reasons that uh, Jeremiah has fear of, uh, of being rejected. But not only that, the message that he would come to bring to them is not one that they want to hear, uh, a message of uh, highlighting their spiritual decline, um, you know, uh, judgment and condemnation. Uh, but, but despite that, God gives him this message of reassurance as we read today when he says to Jeremiah, do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Um, And so two things here. First of all, God is different uh, than a generic God. He's not uh, 
he's not a distant, remote deity, the sort of first mover who causes creation to come into existence and lets it off on its own, but he says, instead, I am with you. He is a God who's in relationship with his people, involved with their lives. He's a specific God. He is the Lord, as he says, and not just some uh, uh, deity off there in the ether who has nothing to do with our lives, and especially someone like Jeremiah. But the second thing uh, is they. Well, who is they? Uh, who are they? First, they're the people of Jerusalem who would reject this God-given message, of course. Um, but Jeremiah does not need to fear them because God will deliver him, even though it's an unpopular message, even though he's a young person. God's reassurance is, I am with you. Well, there is a they and a them in your life, isn't there? Um, who are they? <laughs> How are you afraid of them? Often uh, people, this happens so often to ministers, but it happens in your life too. People come to me and they say, uh, they talk to, people want to talk to me about them or people or someone. I heard someone say, people are talking. Uh, you know what they're saying. And you know what my response is? Who is they? Who's them? I want names. <laughs> don't give me generics. <laughs> and people say, well, I can't tell you. And I say, well, then don't come talk to me about them because they, they don't exist unless, uh, unless they have names. Um, well, so why do people talk about they? They say the purpose is to evoke fear, uh, to cause anxiety. Um, really, it's hostility masked with uh, uh, a sense of being anonymous um, because there's no specificity. Uh, it's so easy to be afraid of the thing that's, uh, that's anonymous. That's why Kylo Ren wears the mask. You know, that's why Darth Vader wears the mask. That's why Johnny Jihadi John wears the mask and everyone else who's chopping off heads in ISIS is it's so much more fearful when they're anonymous. Um, and, you know, uh, like many of you, I uh, suffer from common acute anxiety about all sorts of things in life. And these are fears often of things that are unknown. Um, the what ifs, the sort of endless possibilities, the possibility thinking of uh, this sort of permutation of what could be, might be, uh, should be, ought to be, I hope it isn't. Uh, and it's just the same as the anonymous they. Uh, these sort of low-grade ideas, this constant steady drip of the things that cause us uh, to be, uh, to have apprehension, and they can be crippling, can they not? I mean, uh, that, that those are the things that, that block us in life uh, for, from, from love and creativity. Uh, you know, I used to be a, a writing teacher, and people talk about writer's block. What is that about? It's, it's about this sort of generalized anxiety about the what-ifs. What if nobody likes what I have to say? What if I spell things wrong? The blinking cursor on the screen that sits there in judgment because we're afraid to type out the first sentence lest someone read it. Uh, it's the same thing in relationship uh, between people. Uh, and meanwhile, God says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. As with Jeremiah, uh, he will deliver you and he will deliver me. The phrase, fear not, like do not be afraid, fear not, appears so often in the Bible, throughout the Bible. Uh, often when... Uh, 
the angels, the messengers of God come to speak to people. They immediately greet people with fear and hot. Uh, when Jesus uh, meets people along uh, the, the road to Emmaus, for example, or in the upper room, what does he say, first of all? Fear not. Do not be afraid. Uh, you have no reason uh, to be anxious about the what-ifs, the possibilities. Um, we do not need to have fear because the Lord is our rescuer. Um, do you all know the, uh, the, the children's, if you don't know, you should know it, the, the children's uh, Bible, the Jesus Storybook Bible that, that was put together by a woman named Sally Lloyd-Jones? Um, even if you're an adult, go out and buy the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's the best uh, children's Bible out there. And the one, one of the things that I love about uh, what Sally Lloyd-Jones does in the Jesus Storybook Bible is he, she talks about Jesus Christ as the rescuer, the capital R rescuer. Um, and uh, therefore, the entire Bible is a story of a rescue operation, um, just like uh, people who are in, in danger, deep in the woods, going to die. Jesus Christ is the rescuer. Uh, and therefore, it's not just assistance. It's not a sort of boost, a little help. Uh, it's not a, a bit of moral encouragement. This is 100% absolute deliverance, intervention, and mediation on behalf of God through Jesus Christ. He's the rescuer. Um, I've brought him up before here, uh, uh, partly because I just I love this man because he's so hard scrabble. Uh, Rod Rosenblatt, who's a Lutheran uh, pa- uh, pastor and theologian, talks about salvation. And he says it's kind of like this. Imagine that someone has fallen off of a boat, like a, a cruise ship, uh, and is out there in the middle of the ocean and going to drown. Um, and someone tosses one of those rings on a on a rope, and the person uh, gets on the ring is pulled up ashore. It would be absolutely ridiculous if someone looked at their hand and said, look at this hand, this marvelous hand, how it gripped on to that life ring. No, that's absolutely ridiculous. What you would do is hug and kiss the man who threw the the life ring at you. That is salvation, the rescue operation. Uh, We're all drowning overboard, and Jesus Christ comes to us like a flotation device in the middle of the ocean to save us. And so like George Matheson, like Jeremiah, and like all the exiles of Judah, no matter the suffering in your life or fear of them, know that he will not let you go. As George Matheson said in that hymn, rest your weary soul in him, give him back the life you owe, yield your flickering torch to him, know that these promises are not in vain, allow his cross to lift up your head, Rejoice that your life in him shall endless be. Amen.